Well, church, I just want to welcome you today um, to another, another chance to worship, another chance to lean in, even in the midst of all this chaos, to lean in and say, our God is worthy of worship. Our God is worthy of all that we can offer. Uh, and you just heard an announcement about uh, our emphasis for We Heart Mountain Home this year. And I want to encourage you, encourage your family to be involved in some way in reaching out to our community, not with planned services projects where we all get together uh, because that's not a possibility. Uh, we, we haven't had a chance to organize in that way uh, this year, but, but may we be instruments of God's love and care in the neighborhoods in which we live, with the people that we know, with the people that surround us. Uh, and and give back to us. Tell us how it's going. Give us, give us updates in, in ways that you're able to connect with our community so that we can compile those and celebrate those uh, at the end of this month emphasis. I want to just also acknowledge that today is Mother's Day, a special day uh, for, for many women and for all of us who, who celebrate uh, the mother figures in our lives um, also can be a tough day for some. And so uh, we just remember today uh, with fondness the women who have invested in our lives and poured into our lives uh, on this Mother's Day. And we say we love you to all the moms uh, that are a part of our fellowship. Uh, today is the fifth Sunday of Easter, uh, and our gospel text returns like last week to this to the book of John as we explore uh, during the season of Easter uh, the implications of the resurrection, uh, the powerful implications of the resurrection. So if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to John 14, I was talking to somebody today. It's a lot easier behind a screen to be kind of passive, just watching. Uh, but I encourage you, find a Bible, find a device, and turn with me to John 14 today as we explore uh, these implications of the resurrection together. Uh, reading today from John chapter 14, and I'll be reading from the Common English Bible, verses 1 through 14. Gospel of John says this, Don't be troubled, Trust in God. Trust also in me. My Father's house has room to spare. If that weren't the case, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and take you to be with me so that where I am, you will be too. You know the way to, where, to the place I'm going. Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will, that will be enough for us. Jesus replied, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you all this time, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I have spoken to you, I don't speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me does his works. Trust me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on account of the works themselves. 
I assure you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. They will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask for in my name so that the Father can be glorified in the Son. When you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. And we say thanks be to God. Can I share with you one of the great joys and the great fears of my life? I really don't know how to classify it other than that. It is both at the same time. Uh, You have those moments where you just have met someone. You're just meeting them for the first time and and you're trying to figure out what to say and try to have a, a common point of interest for us introverts. This is kind of a nightmare scenario, right? Uh, but you kind of start, start the small talk. And one of the questions that always comes up is this. So uh, what do you do? <laughs> it's, it's, it's really fun. The, the, longer, the longer this whole introduction thing has happened between me and the other person before this question comes up, the longer it has been, the more fun it is, right? <laughs> the replaying of the conversation takes place. What did I say? Uh, what, 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 what words did I use? Uh, did I say anything that I, I shouldn't have said? Um, I had a friend share this on Facebook. I'm going to put it on the, the video, video in case you can't see it. It's a, it's a pie graph of people's responses when they learn that I'm a pastor. So there's a small slice that says, Oh, a small slice of people say, oh, I go to this church. Do you know it? A second small slice just get awkwardly silent. (laughs) The third small slice just continues naturally. And then like a large part, like 85% says, the pie chart says, they stop cussing. (laughs) It's just just a job hazard of being in the line of work that I am uh, as a pastor. And I kind of love it and I kind of dread it uh, all at the same time. But the fact remains that, that one of the th- things that people frequently ask when getting to know someone is about our jobs. What, what, do, you, what do you do? Uh, there's so much that's tied to our vocation and, and what, we're, what we produce or, or what our job is and, and how we spend our time. Uh, there's status and power in some jobs. There's uh, a scorn or ridicule in some jobs. Um, I remember on the Discovery Channel for, for years, I think it was, uh, you know, many seasons, um, Mike Rowe's Dirty Jobs. Uh, and Mike Rowe would go into some of the dirtiest and nastiest places where, where people uh, do work and he would just experience life uh, as they do, um, as they were working their, their dirty jobs. Why are we so mesmerized? Why are we so mesmerized by what we do? Why, why is this such a, a conversation and a topic that we're drawn to? I think part of it is because this is conversation that's really easy for us. Easy and acceptable. It, it creates one of the most comfortable exchanges in, in conversation for people that we have just met. Because we can, we can talk about facts. We can talk about reality. I do this. I, I, I live here. My destination is there. Uh, and this is all very simple conversation. Uh, easy to, easy to, to speak. 
and easy to understand uh, as we're exchanging information, particularly in these, in these first moments of meeting together. Well, we break into this passage, and, and Jesus is, is way beyond this point with, with his disciples. Uh, as you look at the context, um, uh, John 14 falls right, in, right at the beginning of what's called the farewell discourse uh, in, in the Gospel of John. It's a, it's a, a, a long series of, of things that Jesus said that starts in chapter 14, continues through 15 and 16, and chapter 17. Uh, as you uh, as you look back a chapter into John 13, you understand that, that this is happening at the table of the, the Last Supper. Uh, and, and earlier in, in chapter 13, uh, Jesus took time before the meal to wash his disciples' feet uh, and to take the role of servant and to do the most dirty job in Jewish society. He, he comes to the table after serving each one and then drops this bombshell. One of you, one of you will betray me. He sends Judas off to do what he had planned to do. Uh, Jesus in, introduces, even in chapter 13, this, this concept of going somewhere, of, of leaving. Well, the di- disciples jump on that. They, they weren't sure about the foot washing thing. Uh, they're not, they... They didn't understand and all denied that they were the ones who would betray, but but going somewhere. Here we go. This is tangible information. This is something I can understand. And, and Peter is first, right? <laughs> Just like Peter, Peter is first. He jumps in, going somewhere? I, I'm in. I, I, I understand this. We'll follow you, Jesus. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go wherever you go. You see, Jesus had been talking about just being with them a little while longer, and Peter was, Peter was adamant. It, Jesus, if you're going, I'm going with you. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, <laughs> you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And, and then that brings us to our text today. Jesus, again, returns to this idea of having a destination, of, of going to a place. He talks about a place that's being prepared for those that follow him, prepared for the hearers of this, of this um, almost monologue of Jesus, uh, the disciples. And he gives this beautiful promise for the disciples and for us. He will return and take us to be with him. There's this whole section here where, where there's, there's talk of, of leaving and coming again. And, and biblical scholars are completely divided whether he means he's leaving uh, for uh, this, this short period of time to be crucified and then will be resurrected. Uh, and there's a whole other camp that says, no, Jesus had this, this bigger idea in mind that he would, he would leave as he ascended to heaven and come back. When we think about this gospel being written probably in the year 90 to 95, somewhere in there, as many as 60 years past uh, the resurrection and the ascension, it's possible that, that John left this ambiguity on purpose to see and to have this dual meaning uh, both for the disciples and for us. But he makes this statement, you know the way to, to the place I'm going. And Peter, 
had already been told he would deny Jesus three times, so he isn't the one who speaks up this time. This time it's Thomas. It's his turn to hop in. Uh, we don't know the place. How can, how can we know the way to where we're going if we don't know the place? Thomas had in mind this very concrete idea that Jesus had a destination. And he was adamant that if he, if he knew that destination, then, then he could get there. If, he could, if Jesus could just stay in this mode of conversation uh, of knowing what to do, knowing how to get there, um, then, then he would be okay. You know, oftentimes the human, human mind longs for, for concrete answers, for something tangible. Give me something sensory that I can understand. Show me the way. Provide the map. Give instructions. If, if you're a, a parent with uh, young kids, you know, it's like Dora the Explorer who, uh, <laughs> who has the map, right? Yeah, if there's a place you need to go, I'm the one you need to know. I'm the map, right? Give us the map, Jesus. Help us understand what to do. Philip does the same thing a little bit later. Show us the Father. That, that'll be enough. That's all we need, Jesus. Just give us a glimpse of the Father and we'll understand and we'll believe. If, if we could just provide proof, something sensory, something I can see or touch or feel or taste or hear, that's all I need. Jesus. And as you ponder this passage, as you begin to take a look at it, uh, you realize how similar these two questions, these two requests really are. They're like entry-level conversation. Like, tell me what you do. Like, give us a picture. Talk to us about something tangible. It's like they're in the early stages of following Christ. It's kind of like small talk. But Christ dives deep into the reality of who he is calling us to be. I am the way. In Acts, there's this whole mention of how, how the followers of Christ were called uh, followers of the way. And Jesus is that way. Jesus is also the truth. Uh, he, he's not counterfeit, not, not fake news, not fake hope. Jesus is the real thing and, and offers not a counterfeit hope, but a lasting hope. And Jesus is the life. Jesus becomes. Jesus is that life. We enter kingdom life as we understand what it means to become like Christ, to become more Christ-like in our lives. The reality is that the disciples are like us, right? The, 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 sometimes we have this tendency, God, just tell us what to do. Give us something to see. Give us some assurance. Have you ever asked God for those things? Have you ever made that request of Christ? Have you ever prayed that way? I believe this, church, that this spiritual journey, this becoming like Christ has so much more to do with being than it does with the doings of our lives. It has so much more to do with, with who God is, is calling us to be, not that he gives us a list of tasks 
Not that he's interested in, in making sure that the, the good things of our lives outweigh the bad. He says, who are you? Who have you become? Who, who, who are you being shaped into? And that's what Christ did in this conversation. Just, just elevates the conversation from this list of doing, this list of sensory things, into, into the heart of who the disciples are. You can do this in your life, right? Kids come home. Hey, what'd you do today, son? How was school? <laughs> did you brush your teeth this morning? What did you do? What were your activities of the day? Maybe, maybe we elevate the conversation ourselves and say, son, who were you today? What kind of person, what kind of friend were you today? How did you live your life today? Thomas wanted a map and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Sometimes uh, it, it can be really frustrating to watch Christ followers who are, who are all about the doing and all about the going and all about the activity and all about the tangible in the midst of all that hustle and, and bustle and frenetic energy, we can forget to be. We can forget to draw close to Christ and to center ourselves in who he's calling us to be. Sometimes we can doubt and say, show us the Father. We need proof. We need something tangible. Show us some kind of sign. As Jesus replies in, in verse 9 and, and verse in the first half of verse, uh, verse 10, he's talking to Philip. It's, it's, it's a you that's singular in Greek. Uh, in Greek, when, when the word's translated to you, you can tell whether it's singular or Greek. And, and in verse 9 and, and the first half of 10, he's talking specifically to Philip in response to his question to see the Father. And, yet, and, then, it, and then it turns he, as he's talking to Philip, he says, don't you know me? Haven't you seen? Haven't you been with me? How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that, that the Father and I are connected and are one? But there's a switch in the text, a change that happens in the middle of verse 10. And the you turns to yous. <laughs> the you turns to y'all. The words I have spoken to yous, to y'all, I don't speak on my own. The promise is that the Christ's representation to all of humanity is not his own, but is the words of the Father, that they accurately depict God's message to us and who he's called us to be, that as we live into who Christ was, that, that we honor the Father, that we become who the Father wants us to be Christ as the way, Christ as the truth, Christ as the life. And as we pursue Christ with all that we are, not just what we do, that we are becoming what God intended us to be, which is so much more profound, so much more beautiful, so much deeper level transformation than the do than the actions, than the goings that we sometimes get caught up in. 
and the promise at the end of this text holds that this is the kind of, this is the kind of people who will continue to do greater works of Christ in the world today. Jesus's impact was, was huge, was miraculous, but it was really kind of limited to this small area in the middle of East in and around Galilee and the nation of Israel. Gospel of John speaks about the implications of the resurrection. Jesus left so that the spirit could come, so that the, the, the message of who we would be as we are transformed into the likeness of Christ, enabled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we would transform the world. <laughs> that that our, our message would change the world by the power of the Holy Spirit, which came, who came after Jesus had left this earth. Oh, that we can focus on who God has called us to be and allow the Holy Spirit then to move in and to take who we are becoming to represent God and Jesus Christ in this world that desperately needs him, that desperately needs to see and to know and to hear the love of Christ through me and through you. May that be the cry of our heart this day. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we lift you up today. We worship you. Thank you so much for who you are and how you've called us to this deeper level conversation, this, this conversation of transformation, not just about what we do, but who we are. May we get caught up in allowing you to transform who we are, that we might be faithful to the calling you've placed on our lives. We love you. Would you be with us today and the rest of this week as we represent you in the places to which we go? We love you. Thank you for the chance to worship you in this way. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Go in the love of Christ.